Aniel was one to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreements to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign the injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we come to it tonight, Lord, needing it. 
Uh, Lord, we come uh, not too dissimilar uh, from Daniel uh, and other Israelites, Lord, who were constantly facing fearful circumstances. Lord, uh, some of us tonight come uh, fearful about maybe news we've heard uh, from home, uh, sick family members, or, or maybe family members uh, with whom we don't have a good relationship. Lord, others are coming fearful uh, about school and the expectations they feel to perform and to do well. Father, in the midst of all of this, we ask that you would draw near, that we would know you tonight, that we would know you as our rock and our redeemer. That is who you are, Father. And so tonight we pray that you would draw near and that we would know you more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there is so much going on in the news right now between primaries, the economy, sickness around the world, uh, wars in the Middle East, uh, potential wars in lots of places, uh, that this is an easy time. It's always an easy time, but now is especially an easy time to constantly be thinking, I can't wait until whenever. The election's over and either my person's in power or that guy's out of power. Uh, I can't wait until the economy rebounds. I can't wait until midterms are over. Uh, Always kind of thinking the next thing, when that time comes or, or when that is out of the way, then life will be easy. Or maybe then it'll be easier to trust God. And it's funny because if, if you look at Daniel's life, at the time of this passage, he's almost 70 years old. Remember when he was taken away from Jerusalem, uh, he was college age, which at that time is probably like anywhere from like 14 to 18 years old. And now he's 70 years old. This is the third ruler uh, he's worked under. None of them have been really friendly to him or the Israelites. And it would have been really tempting and easy for Daniel to think, man, as soon as this guy's out of power, then it'll be easy. And he's seen three different people come to power, two different kingdoms. He had Babylon, now he's got Persia. Uh, And life doesn't really get any easier for Daniel uh, or for the Israelites in Babylon, in Persia. Uh, In fact, a lot of times it gets harder and the threats get even more intense. And yet, in the midst of that, Daniel continues to find favor. Over and over again, he's sought after uh, for counsel, for wisdom, to interpret dreams. Uh, Verse 2, we see that he's over the satraps. These are like governors. It was 120 governors. And he's one of three people uh, that is over them. And then verse 4, we learn that he was actually chosen to be uh, over the whole kingdom. Uh, Daniel continues to find favor in the sight of these kings. Um, and, and here's what, what one of the reasons that is. There's probably a lot of reasons, but, but if, if you're going to choose kind of one word to describe why Daniel uh, is finding favor over and over again with these kings, it, it's that Daniel has integrity. Uh, integrity, that word, maybe, I think I mentioned this earlier in the, in the semester, but integrity is a word from which we get the word integer. So if you're ever taking a math class, you know, you've learned what an integer is. It's a whole unit. 
And, and someone who has integrity has a sense of, of wholeness about them. Uh, they are complete, m- meaning th- that uh, they can be the same person with one crowd and the same person with a different. Uh, they don't have to act differently in front of their family than they do their friends or at work or at home. And you see that in Daniel. Daniel's trustworthy. He's like a, a beloved employee. Um, if you read verse 2 and verses 3, it, it talks about uh, he puts him in power because he doesn't want to suffer any loss. Um, Darius wants to... Evidently, this is a position where people could line their pockets pretty easily. Um, and so he chooses Daniel to do it because he doesn't want to like lose money. He doesn't want to lose power. He wants someone trustworthy. And so he trusts Daniel. Uh, and, and you see this again even in verse 4. Uh, evidently, his rise uh, to power is not great news uh, to some of his co-workers. And we don't know the exact reason why. We don't know if they're jealous. Uh, we don't know if this was like kind of more of like an anti-Semitic or racial attack because, you know, he's from Israel. Uh, they're from Persia. Uh, we, we don't know the reason why, but for some reason they've got it out for Daniel and they, they set up this injunction. But before they do that, they try and find dirt on him. And so they're like, you know, they're watching him. They're watching him to slip up, and he doesn't. Uh, and, and the passage here is not saying that Daniel is sinless, uh, but it is saying that he's faithful to God and that his integrity shows forth. And, and so in the midst of a culture of jealousy and envy and backstabbing, uh, where, every, where there's a lot of pressure to conform to what everyone else is doing, uh, Daniel does not. Daniel holds fast. Uh, what is he doing? If you go back to the beginning of the semester, we read a passage that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles. And he said, here's what I want you to do. You're going to be tempted to kind of check out because this is temporary, and that's not what I want you to do. You're going to live there, and what I want you to do while you're living there is not to seek your own welfare, but to seek the welfare of the city. Establish roots there. Seek the welfare of Babylon. And Persia, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. That's what Daniel's doing. Daniel is, has been blessed with tons of power. He's obviously really talented. Uh, he keeps rising up, but he's not using his talents to kind of draw attention to himself or improve his resume. Uh, he's not using his power to dominate other people. He's using his talents and his power to actually bless other people. Uh, when it would have been really tempting to probably take money or to use his power to kind of go behind Darius's back or Nebuchadnezzar's back or Belshazzar's back. And yet he doesn't do those things. He remains faithful. When he has power, he seeks to be faithful with it, not to abuse it or use it for his own. Man, wouldn't it be awesome if that were the reputation of Christians in this world? Uh, Daniel is essentially a head politician. Wouldn't it be awesome if politicians had that reputation in this world? If Christian politicians had that reputation in this world? 11 years ago, there's a professor at UVA, and he wrote a book, his name is James Davison Hunter, um, on engaging with culture, how, how Christians engage with culture. And he asks this, he says, what if the Christian goal with respect to culture was neither to win nor flee But to love, what if we created churches that self-consciously and perpetually taught men, women, and children 
to go into every part of our cultural life, every geographic, institutional, and ideological sphere, and labor there together for the glory of God and the flourishing of our neighbors. What if we were known not for seeking to win the culture wars, but for seeking to bring cultural shalom? What if we were more known for seeking cultural shalom is essentially, what if we were more known for seeking the flourishing of the sciences and education and business and athletics? What if that is what we were known for? That, that, that Christians are a group of people that seek the flourishing of culture, of our world. And look, some of you might be on the fence about Christianity. And maybe it's not something explicit, like I've got these, these things that I can't get over, but, but it might be because maybe you've met Christians or heard about Christians or worse seen, you know, Christians, you know, on Twitter or whatever. Um, and maybe it's led you to kind of doubt that you could associate with a group of people like that or a religion um, that includes those people. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to set aside, you know, do the Gandhi thing. You know, Jesus, he, he prayed that God would protect him from uh, his followers. Um, set aside those who misrepresent Jesus and misrepresent God. And, and, and just think for a moment about what God calls his people to do. To seek the welfare of the city. Plant vineyards, build houses, marry seek the welfare of the city, uh, you have to admit that is a beautiful picture. When you have a world, when you have a campus, let's say Kentucky, what if Kentucky, the University of Kentucky, was comprised of people who sought the welfare of one another, who weren't looking to their own interests, but who were looking out for one another, for the glory of God? You have to admit that would actually be a beautiful place. There would be no more bullying. There would be no more sexual assaults. There'd be no more backstabbing. There'd be no more cheating. There'd be no more feeling left out. No more rivalry. No more loneliness. That is a beautiful picture. And and look, I'm not saying that non-Christians can't do some of these things, but what, what I am saying is that I believe that Christianity actually offers resources and reasons to do these things. We work and we can work hard because we have a God who has created us in his image. We use power to help rather than to prop us up because we have a God who is mighty and powerful and who took on flesh and took the form of a servant. We seek justice in this world because we have a God who is just. We extend grace and forgiveness because we have been extended grace and forgiveness. Daniel gives us a a small little glimpse of what that can look like in a very hostile place. But if you're like me and you read this passage and you read actually the whole book of Daniel, you think, how does Daniel do this? It seems so easy for Daniel. And again, we're not given a blow-by-blow account. Daniel's not sinless. He was tempted in the same ways we are. Um, Daniel's not omnipotent. Uh, he needs help. 
Uh, and, and, and look, the reason Daniel can be someone who is faithful, who has integrity, I, I don't want to oversimplify this, but, but the reason Daniel can do this is because Daniel spends time with God. Now, again, there are a lot, there's more to it. There's lots of different ways you can do that. There's lots of different ways you can grow in the Christian life. The way we see it here in Daniel's life, in verse 10 specifically, is that it's a picture of him spending time with God three times a day. Verse 10 says he went there as he always did, or as he previously had, or as was his custom, depending on your translation. Um, Daniel has a pretty amazing threat before him. You know, his co-workers have basically gone to the king and said, hey, we, we want this law in place uh, that anyone, you know, who worships or makes a petition or prays to anyone other than you gets killed uh, for 30 days. We want this injunction to be in place. The king's like, okay, didn't come up with it, but hey, sounds good to me. Um, Daniel, it says in verse 9, he knows that edict and still he goes to his room and he prays and evidently he know, evidently that's like a known thing uh, because the, his friends or ex-friends, uh, enemies, uh, know that he's going to be doing that. Uh, they show up at his house. They know he's going to be praying. And, and he's doing this. He's not phased. In the midst of finding out this edict, he doesn't freak out. He actually just goes to his room. He's, he's not phased because Daniel is rooted in God and his words about him, not the world's words about him. Psalm 1 gives us a, a, a picture image of this. It describes someone uh, who, who is familiar with God and his word as, as like a tree planted by streams of water. Daniel is rooted in God and his word. And what that means is that when a storm comes, he is not destroyed he is not freaking out because he's rooted in what God says about him, not what the world says about him. You all probably heard there was a tornado that went through Nashville um, two nights two nights ago, right? Yeah. Um, and I was reading, many know we lived in Nashville before, so we had a lot of friends and family, so I was reading the news uh, about it, and I was reading of a family that, Probably like some of you today, there's a tornado drill on campus. Probably many of you went to a bathroom. Uh, this family went and gathered in their bathtub. Um, and literally they said they watched their house fly away. They remained still. Why? Because they're part of something that was like literally in the roots and, and connected to the infrastructure of their neighborhood and their town. They remained because they were a part of something and attached to something that was unflappable. And, and Daniel can face death. And what a horrible way to die. He can face uncertainty. He can face fear with faith, not because he's amazing, but because he has an amazing God. And he knows this God is faithful and reliable. Look, Daniel clearly is talented. He's clearly like a mature, you know, if he was on this campus, he'd probably be like leading Bible studies. He'd probably put me out of a job. Um, and yet, Daniel still, three times a day, needed to go to God in prayer. Uh, he was dependent 
upon God. He needed God. Jesus, while he was on earth, spent time with his father, retreated from his disciples, retreated from healing people to do what? To pray. Daniel needed to pray. If Daniel was to be faithful, if he was to be someone who had integrity, he needed to spend time with God. Jesus, in order to accomplish his mission, needed to spend time with his father. If that is true of Daniel, and if that is true of Jesus, how much more true is that for us? You and I need to spend time with God if we have any hope of facing fears, uh, if we have any hope of growing, uh, if we have any longing to to have integrity or to be faithful. Uh, We have to spend time with God. And, And not only do we need it in order to be faithful, in order to have integrity, but you see our need for it when you see the consequences of when we do not spend time with God. And when I say spending time with God, that can look like coming, like something like this, and reading God's Word. It could mean like going to a small group, or reading the Bible, or spending time in prayer, uh, or just being still. Uh, this can look in a lot of different ways, but, but the call is to spend time with God. And when we don't, uh, you and I both know and have seen the effects of that in our own hearts. Uh, If I'm not in God's word, if I'm not around people who remind me of who he is, um, I will easily forget his character. I'll easily forget what he is like. And when I forget who he is, let's take for example, when I forget that God is mighty and that he's the creator of the world, uh, I will easily begin to think that I'm in more control of my life than I am. I will easily begin to start acting and thinking as if everything depends upon my decisions. That is a recipe for anxiety. That is a recipe for a nervous breakdown. If I'm never reminded of God's holiness, I will believe that I can do whatever I want. And when I believe that I can do whatever I want, uh, I will quickly become very dissatisfied. I'll quickly become lonely. And the the thing is, sin is so deceptive that sometimes that will happen and we'll still think that the answer to that is just doing whatever I want. And, And when we begin to live life and live life and make our life around our desires, our comforts, what we think we deserve, what we think will make us look good in the sight of others, it will be very hard um, to follow Jesus' call to love the poor, to serve other people. When we are consumed with us and when we forget who God is and what he is like, it it will be really, really hard to actually love and care for other people. And it can be easy, and maybe some of you have seen this, it can be easy for weeks, months, and even years to go by. Sometimes you don't catch it in the midst of what's going on, but you look back and you think, I have not cared. I have not actually reached out to someone and cared for them or even asked how they were doing or thought of how I might serve another person. 
Why? Because it is so easy to become consumed with who we are, especially when we are not reminded of who God is. And do not be surprised if you begin to start treating people like rivals, like competition, like enemies when that happens. If you are never reminded of God's grace to you and the forgiveness in Jesus' perfect life, do not be surprised if it is hard for you to not forgive other people. Uh, If you are not familiarizing yourself with the grace you need and the grace that you have been given in Jesus, it will be very easy for you to grow impatient with people. Uh, It'll be very easy for you to think the worst of people. Oh, they did that? Oh, they did that because they hate me and they are so selfish. When we are not acquainted with our own sin and our own need of grace, it'll be so easy for us to judge others. It'll be so easy for us to push them to the margins. And please hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that, hey, you know what? If you go home tonight and you sit out a Bible and a prayer plan, then you will become this like Christian ninja who can just like navigate their way through life without any problems, unflappable, you know what I mean? Um, face anything and you don't have really much of a personality and you just, nothing bothers you, but you can just kind of just do things and you do them well. Uh, That's not what Christianity offers. That's not what following God looks like. But what I am saying is that if you want to grow, I don't think the Bible knows of a Christianity in which you can grow apart from spending time with God and apart from spending time with his people. Um, think about it this way. If I ask you what you had for lunch last Tuesday, very few of you right off the bat could tell me exactly what you had for lunch last Tuesday. If I asked you, hey, what did Michael teach on Sunday morning of winter conference? Or what passage did Robert preach from last week here at RUF? Or what did you hear at church? Uh, maybe some of you. Not many of you can remember the, the sermon that you heard last October on the second Sunday or here. But what you do know about your meals is that you're here, which means you've eaten something over the past 365 days um, and you've been nourished by it. And and the fact that you are here and breathing and uh, your your body's not falling apart is a sign that you've been nourished. And, And then that food and those nutrients have become a part of you. And in the same way, Uh, You may not remember the sermon that I preached. You probably forget a lot of the sermons I preached. That's okay. Uh, But I don't trust in your memory of my specific sermons or what you hear elsewhere where you hear uh, the Bible preached. But it is like a meal in that it actually becomes a part of you. And over time, it changes you. Uh, In fact, the way I tell people I became a Christian was it was during my sophomore year of college and there was not a moment. Uh, the, some people have a moment where they, they knew all of a sudden, maybe they were convicted of a sin, or they prayed a prayer, and, and they knew at that moment. For me, I went to college wanting to run away from Christianity in the church. Sometime during my sophomore year, two truths came real to me. One is that I'm a great sinner, and that my, sinner, that my sin goes way beyond my actions. Uh, it goes way beyond anything that I can fix. 
And the other truth that came to reality was that Jesus saves sinners. And, and over some time, there wasn't one moment, one sermon, one Bible study, but at some point, that truth became real to where I looked at that. And, 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 and whether that's for the first time or the hundredth time, I think that's pretty common about the way God's word works in us. You may not be able to remember every single study or sermon or passage, but you know that you've been fed over the course of a year. And as you're fed, that shapes you. Uh, it shapes the way you act. And, and some of this takes work, too, in, in the same way that some of you spend time, like, in the gym, working out and doing things and training your body. Or maybe you've been an athlete and, you, and you've had to train your body in certain ways. Um, when you do that, you create what's called muscle memory. Um, where, like, your body gets used to doing certain exercises. I've got a friend whose dad played in the NBA. He's in his 60s now. But even when we were in high school, he was, like, in his late 40s. We thought that was old. Now he's really old. Um, but he, my friend posted a video of him last year. That guy can still drain a three, no problem. Now, he can't shift quite as fast as he did when he played the NBA. But, like, his stroke, he's got it. Why? Because he spent hundreds and thousands of hours when he was in high school and college training that stroke to where it is almost second nature to him. He picks up the basketball. He knows exactly what to do. And in the same way, the more we are in and around and saturating and soaking up God's word, the more it becomes a part of us, the more it shapes us. James K. Smith says this. He says, The orientation of our hearts happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. He said this, Learning to love God takes practice. It does. It takes work. Uh, and the work in the Christian life is, is not so much you work hard and you gain all these skills so that you can be a great Christian. A lot of the work in the Christian life is reading God's word and seeing how desperately you need God's grace. But, but also seeing and understanding God's grace and seeing how that affects the way you care for other people, the way you face your schoolwork, the way you face your family. And what you discover more and more as you become before God in prayer and in his word is that you are not powerful, but he is powerful. And, and so a lot of the Christian life is, is not so much um, showing ourselves or proving ourselves to be powerful, but it is hooking ourselves up to his power. Uh, St. Augustine was an African Christian in the 300s, and he said... Uh, he said, God provides the wind, man raises the sail. Uh, God provides the wind, we raise the sail. Yes, the Christian life is work. It does involve hard work, spending time in prayer, spending time reading the word, maybe sometimes when we don't want to. But when we do that, we are not relying on our own power and we're not restricting ourselves so that we can live some sort of slavish life. When you raise a sail to the wind, that sail's operating and living as it was like designed to operate. When we are living with God and spending time with God, we are flourishing. We're living as we were created to live. Daniel knew God. And it enabled him to face this lion's den uh, with confidence, with hope. 
And it's pretty amazing. If you look at this passage, uh, if you read verses 14, basically through 19, he goes to the lion's den. He's not worried. You know who doesn't sleep at all? Darius. The king, it says, spent all night. He's fasting. He can't get any rest. Daniel is in the midst of a lion's den. We don't know that he slept, but he certainly was more rested than Darius. Uh, we're told sleep escaped, sleep fled from Darius. Daniel's in the lion's den. He comes out unscathed. And, 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 but, but here's the deal. The message of this passage and the message of Daniel's book, like you've heard me say before, is not so much, wow, Daniel's awesome. No. Yeah, yeah, Daniel is. He's an impressive guy, but Daniel still needed to be rescued. And you know what? When Daniel was rescued, he still was rescued into a broken world. Daniel's rescue out of the lion's den, the way God rescues him, is not so much a picture of how he always delivers us out of trials, because sometimes we are not always delivered out of our trials the way Daniel's is. But what Daniel's rescue is a picture of is a picture of the way God rescues us in the end. It's a picture of the way actually Jesus rescues us from final judgment. Because like Daniel, Jesus faced faced condemnation. He faced certain death. But unlike Daniel, Jesus actually died. He actually suffered on the cross and died And Jesus rose again. And from his heavenly father, he did not receive the verdict of guilty. He received the verdict of, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And and, and when we, by faith, attach ourselves and trust in Jesus, we get that verdict. What that means is is that we can actually live with hope. Uh, We can live with hope because we have a God who is not just mighty and powerful and who has created us and asks us to live as we were designed to live, as he designed us, but we also have a God who is good and he's faithful. And, And so when you think about facing fearful situations, when you think about growing Know that you are doing it under the gaze of a God who is also a father, who loves his children, who is patient with them in the way that a father is patient with a child learning to walk. You you may feel like you need to come to God or spend time with God in, in a really impressive way, when in reality some of our prayers sound like babbling. It sounds like we're just beginning to talk or just beginning to walk. And God loves that. He will not grow weary when we grow weary. He is faithful and he is good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would use it uh, to encourage us, Lord, and to remind us of who you are remind us what a gift you are and what a gift it is to spend time with you. Lord, I pray. I pray for my own heart. I pray for these guys and girls, Lord, that you would give us uh, the freedom and the courage to carve out space in our calendars, in our days, Lord, to be with you. Uh, Not as something that we can check off of our to-do list merely, 
but Lord, that it would be an instrument by which you change us and fill us up that we might go and live faithfully in this world, reflecting your goodness and your glory to a world that so desperately needs it. We pray all this in Christ's name.